Hey, it's Brian from The Lund Loop. I just need a quick moment of your time before we get into today's episode. If you're a trader, an active investor, or just someone who's interested in the stock market, The Lund Loop is for you. As a paid subscriber, you'll get daily market insights and analysis, as well as actionable trade setups from my watch list that are designed to help you identify profit opportunities. More importantly, you'll get access to our exclusive members-only Discord, where other like-minded traders and investors interact and share their knowledge in a respectful and helpful way. Basically, it's the opposite of Twitter. I would love to have you become a part of the Lundloop community. It's the best RRI you can find. So head on over to thelundloop.com and become a subscriber today. Uh, is this the Lundloop? If so, um, we wish to cancel. Um, we do not wish to belong to that or to pay this anymore. Thank you. Hey everybody, welcome to the Lundloop Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the intersection. I really think I have too much of a radio voice when I do this. I, I feel like, why can't I just talk? Why can't I just say, hey, uh, welcome to the Lundloop. It's the intersection of markets, money, and life. That just feels more authentic. I don't know. I just feel like I have to be podcast guy. So Lundloop Podcast, yes, I am recording this during market hours on Friday, so you will have to forgive me if I'm a little distracted because I'm monitoring a position here in JP Morgan. This is my second time in JP Morgan today. I got stopped out once, but uh, I'm taking another bite at the apple. Looks good right now. Knocking on my my trading desk. We'll see. Anyway, uh, it is a beautiful spring day out here in Southern California. And you know, I'll tell you what, I'm dying. I am just dying. Let me give you a little context. For the mo most of my life, the vast majority of my life, I've been what's known in the medical trades as allergy proof. I have no allergies whatsoever, not allergic to dust, to dander, to pollen. I could walk through a sawdust factory taking massive deep breaths and would have no effect. That was until I turned 35. Now, here's what happened. My wife and I went on our honeymoon and we went over to, we did a quickie tour of Europe. You know one of those tours where you guy plan it? Like guy planning is, okay, how many countries can I squeeze into 10 days? Instead of just saying, hey, let's take our time and maybe go to two countries during that. I'm like, no, we've got to go to this country. This, you know. So we were on a speed tour of Europe. Our first stop was England. So we get to England and somehow, I don't know why, somebody suggested that we go to Kew Gardens. Kew Gardens, you hear the word garden, you think, you know, like you've got your backyard or I have a nice little area where you plant herbs. No, Kew Gardens are the Royal Botanical Gardens in Southwest London. They are 500 acres of just fantastic foliage and mini forest are basically the queen's gardens. I guess the king now because the queen's dead. But back then, the queen was alive, so it was her garden. We decided we would go to Kew Gardens. So we took the metro to, there's this little um, neighborhood just outside of Kew Gardens where the metro stop is. You get there, you walk through the neighborhood, you get to the front gate, pay our ticket. I walk in and I just scan this beautiful vista uh, and immediately I sneeze. 
And it was a weird sneeze, like a sneeze I've never had before. Like a sneeze where I felt a tingling go up the, you know, up my nostrils, like to where your eyes are. And I was like, that's kind of weird. And four seconds later, I had another sneeze and then another sneeze. And then my eyes started to water. And I was like, what is going on here? My wife says, oh, I think you have allergies. Now, if you're someone that doesn't have allergies, you will never admit you have allergies. And so I said, I don't have allergies. I've never had allergies. It's not an allergy. Who knows? Anyway, 10 days of sneezing across Europe later, (laughs) I think I admitted to myself, I have allergies. So I went from having no allergies to being a a local in the Claritin Zyrtec aisle at Target for about three years. For three years, I had seasonal allergies. And then just as fast as they came, I'm going to do the hand clap. As fast as they came, they went away. And I did not have allergies again until last week. As you know, we have had a major, major uh, rainy season out here. Four months of just nonstop rain. And the byproduct of that is everything is blooming out here. And I mean everything. I went out to Covina the other day to hit a bookstore. And the normal SoCal freeway, the sides of the freeways that just look like ratty and dirty, they are absolutely overgrown with not only greens, but the the most fantastic carpet of wildflowers. I've never seen anything like this in my life. I go to the Arboretum every Saturday with my family. I walk through the flowers. I walk through the trees. I don't sneeze. I don't sniffle, nothing. But somehow this super bloom has unleashed the second in a lifetime allergy attack. And uh, I'm just hoping that it doesn't hang around for three years. I hope it goes away. Goddamn, my, my goddamn JP Morgan position. It just, it keeps looking like it's going to break out, but then it starts to fail. So anyway, uh, but this is a reminder The my, my allergies spring. It's a reminder that we're going into a very important time of the year for investors, traders, people that are interested in the markets. And that would be May. And why is May so interesting and important? Because we all know that saying, sell in May and go away. But what does it really mean? What does that mean? Does that have any validity? And should we even pay attention to that? Well, that's the subject of today's Lund Loop podcast. Uh, is this the Lund Loop? By the way, full disclosure, I am not a fan of sayings like these. You know the type that I'm talking about. Buy low, sell high. Or that wacky twist, buy high, sell higher. Or how about, it's time to buy when there's blood in the streets. Or be fearful when others are greedy. Be greedy when others are fearful. Or this is my favorite one here. In the short run, the market is a voting machine. But in the long run, it's a weighing machine. What the hell does that mean? And how does that help anybody make money? I don't like these pithy quotes, these pithy statements that attempt to take very complex subjects or strategies or methodologies and boil them down into a nice, neat soundbite, or I guess today in a clickbait bite. So these things are usually just red meat for the financial media. They like to write articles around these sayings. And at the end of the article, here's always the conclusion. Well, what we really don't know. With that in mind, let's delve a little bit deeper into the concept of sell in May and go away. And you probably know that the real full saying is, sell in May and go away until 
Labor days. Basically, the idea is that you go away until about mid-September. Some people extend it to October. This is what's known as the Halloween strategy. Sometimes it's referred to as the Halloween effect or even the Halloween indicator. And it's a market timing strategy based upon the idea that stocks perform better from October 31st, Halloween, to May 1st than they do for the rest of the year. So you could say, come back in October, come back in September. Let's just say, sell in May, go away until mid-fall. How about that? Does that work? By the way, my JP Morgan position, moving in the right direction. I like it. Okay, so what you may not know is that the actual saying is sell in May, go away until St. Ledger's Day. What? St. Ledger? What the hell is that? Who's St. Ledger? Well, that saying comes from a time when London, not New York, London was the center of the financial world. And what we did is we took that saying, because we're Americans and we take stuff and we make it our own, and we changed it. We put Labor Day in there. But really, it's sell in May, go away until St. Ledger's Day. So what is St. Ledger's Day? Who is St. Ledger? That's, that's the question I want to know. Who the hell is St. Ledger? Well, there's this thing called ChatGPT that's really smart. And after I fed it a few queries, here's what it told me about St. Ledger. Well, wait, let me back up a little bit before I do that. What are you thinking right now? What are you thinking about St. Ledger? If you had a guess, you're like, who is St. Ledger? Let me make a guess. You're probably thinking it's a Catholic saint. That's what I was thinking. I assumed it's a Catholic saint and St. Ledger Day is, or Ledger's Day, is a day where we honor that saint. Not unlike the day where we give gifts to relatives we really don't like in order to honor St. Nicholas, or when we break our teeth on little heart-shaped hard candies with stupid sayings on them to honor St. Valentine, or when we go out and get shit house with our friends to honor that best of saints, St. Patrick. That's what I thought St. Ledger's Day was. I was wrong. Let's go back to ChatGPT. Here's what ChatGPT tells me about St. Ledger. Major General Anthony St. Ledger, that's in st.legger, was an esteemed British military officer and is renowned for founding the St. Ledger Horse Race, one of the oldest and most prestigious races in the world. As a distinguished cavalry officer, St. Ledger was passionate about thoroughbred racing and established the race in 1776. The St. Ledger Stakes are held annually in Doncaster, England, as part of the prestigious British Triple Crown of Racing. Here's some fun facts about St. Ledger. Uh, he was an accomplished horseman, known for his love of hunting, and he had a keen interest in breeding and training racehorses. He was also a respected military strategist, serving in the American Revolutionary War and the French Revolutionary Wars. Okay, learn something new. Except that that information is 100% incorrect. Major General Anthony St. Ledger never fought in the American Revolutionary War. What ChatGPT is getting wrong here is it's conflating him with a different British military officer, a Barrymore Matthew, air quotes here, Barry St. Ledger, who just so happened to be born the same year as Major General Anthony St. Ledger, 1732. I got to move my stop here on JP Morgan. It's not working out. I'm going to get stopped out. Anyway, uh, so look, we already are starting off on a bad foot here. 
we're, we're talking about a strategy based upon a saying that's a derivative saying from England that was popular in a time when London, not New York, was the center of the financial universe, based upon a day named after a guy who we don't even really know the history of. All right, but I'm willing to go forward. Let's, let's keep going. So the concept behind this saying was that in the summer months, in order to escape the heat of the city, the wealthy aristocrats and traders of the British Empire would go out to the countryside. They'd basically take a summer vacation. And while all these market participants were away, trading volumes tended to be lower and the markets were less active. Because of this, a lot of investors started to believe that it was best to sell their stocks in May, stay out of the market until St. Ledger's Day, which marks the end of the horse racing season in the UK. That's when all the aristocrats and the traders would come back to the city and volumes would start to increase. And this illustrates a common problem amongst these famous Wall Street and investing sayings. They're just out of date. Most of them came about in a different time, a different place. Investing has changed. Trading has changed. Markets have changed. Technology has changed. Does anybody think that we have a summer malaise because traders and investors go to the Hamptons? Of course not. By the way, my JP Morgan uh, trade is working out pretty good here. In fact, I'm going to move my stop up. Here we go. It's a weird sound. Hear that sound? I'll do it again. Oh, interesting. All right, so 1431. By the way, I'm probably going to go over this in this week's Deconstructing a Trade. So if you uh, are listening to this and want to see that trade, how it played out, go to lundloop.com. Move it down a little bit. All right, where was I? Oh, yes, bagging on um, famous Wall Street scenes. So why do we still hear a bunch about this? We, we hear people all the time claiming the data uh, shows that there is a summer malaise. And, you know, you'll hear people saying they've run the models. And it, it, if you invest over this period of time and you were out during this period of time, you would have made more money. How, how can that be? Well, it's very simple. It's something called p-value hacking, as in the letter p, not as in, you know, p-value hacking. It's also known as data dredging. It could be called data snooping, data phishing. You can even call it data butchery. And it's basically an exploitation of data in order to discover a pattern that is not being looked for. So, okay, let me just back that up a little bit. What happens is somebody gets a large data set of information and then they begin randomly searching it for patterns or relationships, but without a hypothesis in place. So instead of saying, here's what we think is happening and then going to the data and saying, okay, the data proves that or the data disproves that, they reverse the process. They look at the data without a hypothesis and then they selectively report the findings that appear statistically significant while ignoring the ones that don't appear statistically significant. And this just leads to misleading conclusions. Um, that's why you get the term a fishing expedition. It's kind of like if you were to take a shotgun and go out and shoot at the side of a barn. And then after you were done, you looked for the biggest grouping of holes. And then you went up there and you painted a bullseye around it. To anyone that's walking by, they'd go, oh my goodness, they were shooting for that bullseye and they hit it a bunch of times. So that's kind of what data dredging, p-hacking, data butchery is all about. And that's 
kind of the science behind this idea that we get a, a malaise in the, the summer. You can look at some data and it quote unquote proves it. You can look at other data and it disproves it. I think it's one of those things where it works except when it doesn't work. You know, the idea is you stay out for the summer and then you come back in the fall. That's the best time to get back in the market. But if you look through the history of the market, there's times when if you did that, you would have got your head handed to you. For example, when did Lehman collapse? September 15th of 2008. After the internet bubble burst, September and October of 2002 were the lows of the market. The financial crisis, when did that begin? It began in late August and it rolled on for two months through September and October. The 1987 crash, that was in October. How about the big crash in 1929? October. <laughs> the worst month of the depression, September 1931, when the market fell about 30%. So again, you can take this data and you can kind of move it around and manipulate it any way you like. And the other problem with sayings like these or studies that try to prove sayings like these is they don't factor in context. All right, so let's take, for example, let's say that, yes, September to May is the best part of the year for the market. So what would you expect during that period? What is that, a nine-month period? You would expect an upward trend in the market, right? Higher prices. But we know that markets don't go straight up and they don't go straight down. So if the market goes up for eight or nine months, wouldn't it make perfect sense that it needs to have a rest period, a period to digest those gains, that period between May, June, July, and August? But what happens if that's not the scenario in the prior eight or nine months, like this year? What if in the prior eight or nine months or 12 months, we saw the market implode, the market go down? And then the market rallied and went sideways for a number of months. If we're going into a May with that as the context, well, wouldn't it make sense that the market could be in a rally mode and we could break out and go higher? Look, I think the takeaway for the sell in May and go away thing for active investors and traders like us is you just can't get wedded into one mindset or the other. You can't say to yourself, well, it's going to be summer, so it's going to be low volatility. It may be low volatility. It may be high volatility. What's important is that we are self-aware and that we are paying attention to what the market's telling us, to what the market is doing, so that we're not taking a methodology that works in a high volatility market and trying to force it when the market goes to sleep for the four months of three or four months of summer. Or we're not doing the opposite. We're not saying, well, I'm going to stay out of the market in summer because that's usually the time when we have the least amount of volatility and then miss an opportunity to catch a massive breakout. Uh, is this the lunch loop? By the way, I know you've been on the edge of your seat wondering how this worked out. I've got a stop in on half of my JP Morgan position. So I'm locked with a profit. Got about two hours left till the close. Uh, so pretty happy with that. And again, I will go over this trade step-by-step step in this weekend's Deconstructing a Trade. So just go to the lunloop.com and uh, there'll be a link there to the video. Um, I would like to repeat that want to be canceled from the Lund Loop, whatever you've got me on. Um, 
if you wish to call and explain what it is, uh, actually, uh, forget that. Well, that's it for this episode. If you got any questions, hit me up at Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at thelunloop.com. I'll see you next time. Bye.